My wife, Chris, and I have been watching a new TV series that's new to us. It's been around for, I guess, a couple of years now. It's called New Amsterdam. And I really love medical dramas. Um, I used to watch ER back in the day. I was a devoted fan. And we found this, um, this program, New Amsterdam, and the lead character is a young physician. His name is Max, Max um, Goodwin. And he's been hired as the new medical director of the largest public hospital in the country. And this is actually based on a true story. But he comes into this role and he starts making all of these what appear to be radical changes because he wants everybody in the hospital to focus on the core mission, helping patients. And so as I was watching the first episode, I noticed something that he said over and over again, four words. It was a question that he would ask everybody. Um, whether it was a janitor that was working in the hospital, another um, physician, uh, a patient, Dr. Max would continually ask a question by saying these four words. How can I help? How can I help? And he would ask that question because he really wanted to help, because he cares about people and what they need. And as I was watching this program, I was thinking to myself, you know, there's another physician that I know um, he's actually referred to often as the great physician. And he came to our world, and so often as he encounters people, he essentially asks the same question, how can I help? And the reason he asks that question is because he really cares. He really wants to meet the needs of other people. And listen, this morning, there is a physician named Jesus who knows all about you, who knows all about your life, and he is asking that question, how can I help? Because he really loves you and wants to meet your needs. Now today we're continuing the series called um, Time to Dream and we've been looking at these different doors that God wants us to walk through and today we're going to look at the door of service. Now Jesus said this, he said that he came to our world not to be served but to serve and he went on to say this in Matthew chapter 20. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your what? Your servant. Now notice this. If you want to be great, if you want your life to count for something, if you want to really make a difference in this world, you need to learn how to be a what? Servant. Now, when you think about God's purpose for our lives, this is really an important purpose. God wants us to learn how to serve. In fact, he has shaped us for a unique serving assignment. And we see this principle in the life of Job. Take a look at this verse. It says this, Your hands, God, shaped me and made me. God has shaped you and shaped me to be a servant. Now, I've got some tools over here in this tool bag, and I want to ask you a question. Here's the first question. What is this, what is this tool called? Okay. Now, what is a hammer used to do? It's not a trick question. <laughs> What is this part of the hammer supposed to do? Yes, to drive nails, not attitude adjustment. No, it's for driving nails. And what is this part used for, the claw? Yeah, for removing nails or prying things, right? So you can tell what this tool was designed for by considering its shape, correct? That makes sense? Okay, here's another tool. Think about this tool. And I'll be careful with this one. What is this tool called? A saw, this is a very sharp saw, by the way. Now, what is a saw used for? Sawing. <laughs> okay, good. Good, you're with me. Um, yeah, for sawing, for cutting wood. And how can you tell what it was designed to do? By its what? 
by shape because it has a place to put your hand and it's got these sharp little teeth here and a metal blade. So when you look at this, you look at the shape and it tells you what it was designed to do. Now, consider this. When you look at yourself in terms of helping other people, your shape determines what God designed you to do. Now, I want to do this. This is on your outline as well, and we're going to be reinforcing this in our small group study time. But I want us to look at each of these letters in the word shape, S-H-A-P-E, because God uses these five ways to design us to be servants. The first letter, S, stands for spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Now, you can think about it this way. How many of you like to get birthday presents? Okay, good. And see, the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you have a spiritual birthday because you were born what? You're born again. And on your spiritual birthday, God gives you at least one spiritual gift. And those gifts are described in the Bible. Gifts like teaching, uh, administration, um, encouragement, the gift of mercy, the gift of leadership. These are gifts that God gives us. But what is the purpose of the gift? To serve others. And the Bible is really clear about this. Take a look at this verse in 1 Peter. It says... Each one should use whatever gift you have received to become rich and famous. What does it say? Yeah, to serve others. So the S stands for what? Spiritual gifts. I want you guys to really get this. Okay, the S stands for what? Spiritual gifts. The H stands for your heart. And your heart represents what you care about the most what you love to do, what you're passionate about. And isn't it true that there are some things that you really love to do and others that they just don't really get you too excited. That's because of your heart. And God gave you your heart for a reason. Your heart steers you into where and how God is calling you to serve. So the S is spiritual gifts. The H is heart. A is for, does anybody know? Abilities. I think that's on your outline. Abilities. Now, how many of you have any abilities? We all have abilities. These are natural talents that we were born with. Some of you are good at math, at music, at mechanical things, some of you are gifted athletes, um, some of you can, you know, write really well. We have all these different natural talents, but all of those talents were given to us by God to help us serve others. So you've got S, spiritual gifts, H is heart, A is ability. What does P stand for? Personality. How many of you have a personality? <laughs> we all have a personality, don't we? Yes, and your personality helps you understand how God has shaped you to serve. For example, let's say that God has given the gift, the gift of encouragement to somebody who's an extrovert, and he's given that same gift of encouragement to somebody who's an introvert. Is that going to look different in terms of how they serve? Yeah, because it's a reflection not just of their gifting, but a reflection of their personality. And then the last letter is the letter E, and what does that stand for? experiences. And we've had all kinds of experiences. You had experiences in your family growing up, um, experiences on the job, experiences in school, experiences um, in life, spiritual experiences, painful experiences. And God uses all of these experiences, especially the painful ones, to shape your heart so that you can be a better servant. Now, when we began the series, we talked about the first door that God wants us to walk through. And that was called the door to a new you. God is at work. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us so that we become more and more like Jesus. But where does that transformation begin? In our minds. By changing the way that we think. By changing our attitudes. Because our attitudes determine our actions. Now this is what Jesus said about attitude. He said this, your attitude must be like my own. 
For I did not come to be served, but to serve. I want you to consider this. When you look in the mirror, who is the person looking back at you? That's just another way of saying, on what do you base your identity? Because when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a big part of your identity is being a servant. And if you don't think that that's your identity, if that's not how you see yourself, you're not really going to step into opportunities to serve others. And there was a transformation that took place in the lives and in the hearts of Jesus' disciples because after three years with Jesus, when they looked in the mirror, they saw themselves as servants. And how do I know this? Well, because of the letters they write that are part of the New Testament in the Bible. Jesus had three people, three friends, that were very close to him. Peter, James, and John. And they got to see Jesus do stuff that other disciples didn't. Now, how did that proximity to Jesus shape their hearts? Well, Peter says this as he writes a letter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And James says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's John, the disciple that wrote the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, begins with a statement. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So it's clear that these disciples see themselves as servants. And even Paul had a, a transformation in his identity. And so often as he writes letters, here's how he begins. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, in the Bible... The word servant and the word minister are really used interchangeably because they mean the same thing. So let me ask you this. How many ministers do we have at Boynton Beach Community Church? And the answer is not one. <laughs> yeah, several hundred. Why? Because every follower of Jesus Christ is a minister, which means that you're a servant. So anytime you're using your spiritual gift, your personality, your abilities, all the things that God uses to shape you, when you're using those things, you are involved in ministry because you're being a minister, because you're a servant. One of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And there's a really compelling scene um, in the movie. It's at the beginning. And some of you know the main character, played by Russell Crowe. He's a, a Roman general. His name's Maximus. And they're getting ready for this big battle, and he's riding back and forth on his stallion, and he's encouraging the soldiers right before this battle, and he says this. This is such a compelling statement. I remember the first time I heard it. He says this. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Is that true? Absolutely. In fact, I would go even further and say this. What we do in life is preparation for eternity. And that's so true when it comes to serving. When we get home to heaven... Are we going to serve? Absolutely. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve people. So what we do here is getting us ready for serving in heaven. And that's why God comes to earth in the person of Jesus and says, I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a good servant. And that brings us to the big question this morning, and this is on your outline. How can we learn to serve like Jesus? What does that look like? Well, here's some important principles, and here's the first. Serving like Jesus means being available, available to serve other people. One day Jesus is on the road to Jericho and some blind men start um, calling out to him because they want Jesus to, to heal them. 
And what does Jesus do? Well, this is what the Bible says. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? Sounds a lot like those four words, how can I help, doesn't it? But notice this, Jesus stopped. Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted to meet the needs of other people. And listen, if we're going to serve like Jesus, we need to do the same thing. And so often when you read the stories about Jesus intervening in people's lives, he's going someplace else, doing something else, and he stops and he allows himself to be interrupted. Think about the story in the Bible where Jesus is teaching in this house, and I mean, it is packed. You can't even get into the house. So these uh, four guys have a friend who's paralyzed, and they want Jesus to heal him. Some of you know what they do. They dig a hole in the roof, and they lower this guy down. Now, how does Jesus react? Does he say, what are you guys doing? Man, can't you see I'm teaching here? The healing service is at 7 o'clock. You know, come back later. Not what Jesus does. He heals this man. Or there's another time when Jesus is in the synagogue and, and the service is going on and Jesus looks over and he sees this guy with this, this shriveled up hand. And he feels compassion for him because Jesus knows that there's probably no way this guy can work and take care of his family. And Jesus looks over and he sees the religious leaders who are watching him like a hawk, trying to catch him doing something wrong. Does he say, hey, look, uh, buddy, I'd really like to stop what I'm doing right now and heal you, but, you know, these religious leaders, they've got it out for me, so listen, come back later. Not what he does. Jesus heals this man. He allows himself to be interrupted to meet the needs of other people. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to be willing to do the same thing. Now, here's a really interesting verse. This is from the book of Proverbs. It says this, Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them when? Now. See, servanthood begins with making yourself available to help people now, but what is it that gets in the way? Well, there are three typical barriers. And let's look at each one. Here's the first barrier, self-centeredness. The Bible says, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Whenever you see a need right in front of you, realize this, God has given you an opportunity to serve like Jesus served. But here's the reality. So often, we're so wrapped up in our world that it's hard to see the needs in somebody else's world. And I get that. Sometimes we're so busy, we're trying to get through our schedule, get through the day, trying to just keep our heads above water, that it's like we have this sign around our neck that says DND. What does that stand for? Do not disturb. Now Jesus, when he saw needs in front of him, didn't say, hey, don't disturb me, I'm a busy man. He made himself available, and we have to do that too, but please understand this. I think God wants us to make plans. When I get up in the morning, um, there are three things that I do. I pray, I plan, and then I pursue the plans. And so I think that's a good thing to do, to have goals and objectives. But here's the thing. Sometimes God changes my plans. Sometimes he rearranges my plans. Sometimes he entirely blows up my plans. Here's the thing. We can plan. We can have goals and objectives. But God wants us to have a heart that says, but God, if you have something else in mind, if there's somebody that you want me to, to help, hey, that's fine with me, because your plan is more important than my plan. So that first barrier is self-centeredness. Now, there's a second barrier to serving others, and it's perfection. The Bible says, if you wait for perfect conditions, what'll happen? Man, you'll never get anything done. Now, I want to make a, a distinction between perfection and excellence. Now, everybody knows what perfection is. No question about that. People have different ideas when it comes to excellence, but here, I think, is a 
a good biblical working definition of excellence is doing the best you can with what God gives you. Think about that. Doing the best you can with what God gives you. Now, here's the problem when it comes to serving. People sometimes look at themselves and go, oh, man, God hasn't given me much to work with. I'm not as smart as so-and-so. Um, I don't have the same energy as this other person. I don't know as much about the Bible as this other person. And we think, you know, because of these limitations, God just can't use me very much. But church, this is a reality. God is not limited by our limitations. Over and over again in this book, we see that God uses imperfect, insecure, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And when you read the stories, I mean, this kind of hits you right in the face. There's Moses. You know, God says, go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and tell him to let my people go. And what does Moses say? I can't do that, God. I stutter. God sends him anyway. And then you've got, you know, somebody like uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah who battles depression. And God uses him in a very powerful way. Jonah, what does Jonah do? He runs from God. God tracks him down. I found that he will do that if you run from him. And then you've got somebody like um, Noah who gets drunk. You've got King David who committed adultery. And you've got Paul who was murdering Christians. Peter who's so scared that, that he might die that he denies Jesus. And you have Lazarus. He was already dead. Looked like he was useless. But Jesus raised him to life. Listen, God used all of those people to accomplish his purpose, and that's true for us because we, we all have weaknesses. We all have faults. We all have imperfections, but God can still use us. Let me ask you this. Why doesn't God use perfect people? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There aren't any. And this is, listen, this is the beauty of the gospel. I mean, how many imperfect people did God call into his family? Everybody that's in God's family is an imperfect person. And see, the Bible says that all of us have a heart problem. We come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God, away from his purpose and his plan. And because of our sin, our disobedience, we're separated from a God who is holy. And, and this is the bad news, and it gets even worse, because God is just. He has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that punishment is to die and to be separated from God forever. And here's... here's just the, the stark reality. We can't do anything to save ourselves, which means that God has to step in, and he does. And the story in this book, church, is the greatest love story, the greatest rescue story the world has ever seen. It's a story of redemption, the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He leaves his home in heaven, the second person of the Trinity, and he comes to this world, and he does what no human being has ever done. He lives a perfect life, obeys God completely, and because of that, he's uniquely qualified to offer himself as a substitute for us. And that's what's going on on the cross. Jesus dies the death that we deserve. God is willing to place our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. And then after dying and paying for our sins, what happens to Jesus? He comes back to life. And he invites us into a new life because Jesus is making all things new, including us. And Jesus says, look, if you want to have a significant life, if you want your life to make a difference, then come and follow me. Learn how to serve other people. I will be your coach. I will be your model. I will be the source of wisdom and strength so that you can fulfill God's purpose for your life. And so God calls us to be a servant like Jesus, but the first thing we have to do is be what? Be available. And we have to overcome our natural tendency toward, toward, toward self-centeredness, and perfectionism, and there's another barrier that we need to overcome as well. If we really want to be good servants, and it's this, materialism. Because Jesus himself said this, no servant 
no servant can serve two masters. You should not serve both God and money. He said you can't do it. You can't serve God and you can't serve money. And here's the reality. If you're really going to be a servant, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your ability. It's going to cost you financial resources. But that's what God calls us to do in order to make a difference in people's lives and in order to be like Jesus. So first of all, serving like Jesus means being available. And here's the second thing. Serving like Jesus means being compassionate. Compassionate. The Bible says this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When Jesus sees people and he sees their, their sick, it says he has compassion on them and he does something. And that's what compassion is. It's love in action. I actually have a shirt, a t-shirt that says that. Compassion is love in action. And if we're going to be like Jesus, when we see somebody that has a need, we can't just say, hey, man, sorry, um, that's, man, that's really tough, but got to go. Jesus would stop and he would do something to help that person. But here's, again, one of the challenges. Many of us have been hurt trying to help people. Sometimes um, we close up our heart and say, I'm not doing that again. I've been disappointed, I've been hurt, I've been disillusioned. I read a quote this week that I wrote down because I thought it was so thought-provoking. It says this, you don't protect your heart by acting like you don't have one. It's true. You don't protect your heart by acting like you don't have one. You protect your heart by opening your heart to Jesus and asking him for the love and the grace to serve others the way that he does. Now, quick review, serving like Jesus means being what? What's the first thing? Available, what's the second thing? Compassionate, and here's the third. Serving like Jesus means being humble. Humble, and again, these are the words of Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn how to serve, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Now, let me point out three benefits of humility. And here is the first. Humility helps us depend on God. Humility helps us depend on God. When you feel inadequate, when you think, I just can't do this, it's too hard, I don't know what to do, that's when God steps in. And he says, you can depend on me. A humble heart is a dependent heart. And that's one of the benefits of humility. It helps us depend on God. Now, here's another benefit. Humility creates community. It creates community. You know, when you focus on your strengths and disregard your weaknesses, here's how you often think, oh, I can do that. I can handle that. I don't need your help. I got this. But when you realize, hey, I have limitations. I have blind spots. We need each other because serving is a team sport. It changes everything. And humility actually creates that community. Because, listen, we serve better together. And then here's the third thing that humility does. Humility maximizes our ministry. It maximizes our ministry. And here's why. When you're honest about your life, when you're honest about your struggles, when you say, look, you know, I've, I've got problems and I've got flaws and I've failed, when you do that, it gives you sympathy for other people. And that sympathy enables you to develop a relationship of trust where you can really serve another person. A pastor um, said this one time. He said, your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. The things you're most embarrassed about, most ashamed of, and most reluctant to share are the very tools God can use most powerfully to heal others. So, quick review. If we're going to serve like Jesus, what's the first thing we need to be? Available. What's the second thing? 
Okay, say it like you mean it. What is it? Compassionate. What's the third thing? Humble. And here's number four. We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. I read a story this week that I wanted to share with you. It goes like this. A juggler, a juggler driving to his next performance is stopped by the police. What are those machetes doing in your car, asked the cop. I juggle them in my act. Oh, yeah, says a doubtful cop. Let's see you do it. The juggler gets out and starts tossing and catching the knives. Another man drives by slowly to watch. Wow, he says to himself, I'm so glad I quit drinking. Look at the test they're given now. <laughs> your ministry assignment is a test. It's a test of your faithfulness. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, the end of his time on earth, this is what he prays to his Father before going to the cross. Father, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He was faithful to the end. I'll tell you what, when I get home to heaven, I want to be able to say, hey, Father, I completed all the work you gave me to do. I was faithful to the end. And church, I want us all to be able to say that. And the Bible says this about being a, a faithful servant. The one thing, the one thing required of servants is that they be what? Faithful. So what does that mean? It means keeping your commitments. It means when you, si when you sign up, you show up. It means when you give your word, you keep your word. And this is so important. This is why the Bible commends faithfulness so much. And I know this, and, and you know this too. That ministry, serving people, meeting their needs, is not easy. It can get really hard. You can get tired. You can get discouraged. But I have discovered this, that when you actually depend on Jesus to help you serve another person, there is such a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment from knowing that you've been used by God to make a difference in somebody's life. And that's why the Bible says this, and this is from Paul's pen in 1 Corinthians. He says, throw yourselves into the work of the master. Now think about that. Don't hold back. Be all in. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him, listen, nothing you do for Jesus is a waste of time or effort. Because when you serve other people, you're serving Jesus. You're serving God. Over the years, my wife Chris and I have had the, the privilege of working alongside a lot of people here in our church family. And we have just been continually encouraged because we've encountered so many faithful servants at BBCC. And in recent months, um, we have a dear friend who has given us this extraordinary um, view in terms of what it means to have the heart of a servant. Many of you know that our church began in the home of Dick and Kim Amstoy. And for the last several months, Dick has really been uh, facing a lot of medical challenges. He was recently released from the hospital and then in less than a week had to go back into the hospital. It's been really, really hard. And every time I go to see Dick, Kim is there. She's by his side. She's always asking the question, how can I help? And she's somebody who, when she said, for better or for worse, she meant it. And her faithfulness, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, is such a powerful picture of what it means to really love somebody. And it's a reminder that the love we need to serve well comes from God. God's love flows through our hearts into the lives of others 
And if ever there was somebody that can give us that kind of love, it's Jesus. Because he was the quintessential faithful servant. Listen, he never gave up. He never gave in. He finished his race. And that's what he's calling us to do. There's, there's a book that I read a number of years ago. It's called Halftime. And it talks about what you do when you're a believer with the second half of your life. And it talks about how so many people, when they reach retirement age, they just kind of check out. They leave their job, and often they check out of their church. They go, but they really don't serve because now they're just busy playing golf or going sailing or going on cruises or whatever it happens to be. And he challenges Christians in that book to consider the fact that when you're a servant of God, you're always going to be a servant of God. You may retire from your vocation, but you never retire from ministry. And, and here's the thing. I, I have this conversation with my wife a lot, and I tell her, look, I'm never going to retire from ministry, ever. And here's why. Because we have a calling. And, and realize this, you have a primary calling. If you're a Christian this morning, you have a primary calling and a secondary calling. Your primary calling is to follow Jesus. You're a child of God. You're, you're a child of the King. You're a part of God's family. That's never going to change. That primary calling is something that, that never changes over time. Your secondary calling is your kingdom assignment. It's where God wants to deploy you, where God wants to use you in carrying out his purpose in the world. That can change over time. But you never set aside that kingdom assignment. Listen, if you're alive, you have a kingdom assignment. You have a role of serving other people and meeting their needs. And imagine this, church. Imagine what would happen if that were true in churches across America. If people would understand that, that our whole life we're called to be a servant. Because here's the reality. For a church to grow... It has to meet more and more needs. Our capacity as a church is determined by our ability to serve. So if more and more people are serving, we can meet more and more needs, and that enables the church to be strong and healthy and grow. And it also enables us to do this, and this is so important. It helps us to experience joy because serving like Jesus leads to joy. Serving like Jesus leads to joy. This is what, what Paul said. He said, my life is being poured out as a part of the sacrifice and service I offer to God for your faith. Yet, as hard as it is, I'm filled with joy. And I share that joy with all of you. Inside your, your program this morning is a way to make what we're talking about very practical. There's a, a page and it says at the top, yes, I'd like to learn more about serving. And if you're asking that question, if you want to learn more about serving, there are a number of places that we need people to step into a role. So I encourage you to take a look at, at this. And this is always the case. We always need people who will be willing to serve. But if you would, just take a look at this, take it home, say, hey God, how can I help? And then as God directs you, you can contact us. We'll get back in touch with you. We will find a place to serve. Now, this morning, I want to do this. Um, I want you to watch this brief video because this video is really encouraging and it reminds us not just of the importance of serving, it reminds us why we serve. Let's take a look. To our volunteers, we thank you. You get up early, you're the last ones out the door, day or night. You serve to be a part of the bigger story that is unfolding. You play the role that only you can play. And it's a story that we're all writing together. You realize that serving is more than the task that you do.
It's more than making coffee. It's more than cleaning, or playing an instrument, or working behind the scenes, or hosting a small group, more than hanging out with teens, or playing trains with a child, more than handshakes and warm smiles, more than singing a song or having a conversation. It's way more than that. You serve to build a church community that welcomes people wherever they are at. You serve to create a safe place to explore faith. You serve because God first served us. You serve as a way of life. You serve to show compassion and grace and love. You serve to show that there are second chances and to show that God does not give up on people. You don't serve for power, recognition, popularity, or applause. You give when it's not easy and sacrifice when it's hard. You have found joy when you put yourself second. You believe in a story bigger than yourself and a dream that only God can deliver on. What you do matters. It matters more than you often realize. Together we can do so much. Together we are used by God. And if you're not part of this story, we invite you in. And to all of our volunteers, we thank you. We honor you. We couldn't do church without you being the church. Just like to echo the words of that video to all of you who faithfully serve here at BBCC. We thank you. We honor you. We couldn't do church without you being the church. Think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus who came to our world to show us how to serve. And God, thank you for our volunteers who, who serve week after week because God, it's true, we couldn't do church without them being the church. Would you help us remember that everything we do for you matters? And God, would you please do this as well? Call those who are on the sidelines to get involved so they can know the joy of serving. Father, we have received so much grace from you, and I pray that you'll help us to give that grace to others as we serve them and meet their needs so that this world will really know what a good and great God you are. And Lord, I, I pray for the person this morning who maybe for the first time is understanding that they've never really decided to follow Jesus. I, I pray that today would be the day that you would call them and they would answer. And listen, if that's you this morning, you can just, in your own words, tell God, God, I need you. I want my life to count. And so I've, I've decided that I really do want to follow Jesus. I, I believe that I'm a sinner and that my sin has separated me from you and, and I need to be forgiven. I believe Jesus died so that could happen. And he came back to life and, God, I need a new life. So I want to follow your son. God, thanks that for so many of us in this room, we've, we've said that to you and you've run to rescue us. And Lord, as we continue this adventure of following Jesus, would you please, God, strengthen our church. God, help us to, with, with great passion, step into this role of being a servant, to be on the lookout for ways that we can help people and point them to Jesus. 
Because God, that's how lives really get changed. And it's not just that, that other people's lives are changed, it's that our lives are changed. Because when we learn to serve, Lord, there's this excitement about life, there's this enthusiasm, because we know that you're going to use us to do something important every single day. And God, I know this. I know that so many people are just trying to get by, just trying to get from one week to the next, from one paycheck to the next. But God, you never created us so we could survive. You created us to thrive. You created us to live an adventure with Jesus as we follow him. So Lord, would you please do this? Help us learn how to do that. Help us learn to thrive. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.